My dad died. I miss my friends because of... I don't know how to tell my friends that. I want to help my friends. I don't know how. The pandemic has left me feeling very lonely. How can I best support students in my classroom? The morning meeting is meant to be a place to let you know that you are not alone. We can get through this together. So join us. Listen, learn, share your stories. This is The Morning Meeting. I am so excited to be interviewing Lisa Williams today. She's the co-founder of the grief community called What's Your Grief? Many of you have probably heard of it. Lisa received her master's degree in social work from the University of Maryland and has a master's degree in philosophy from the University of Warwick in the UK. Lisa has been working in the field of grief and loss for 12 years and previously worked in homeless services in Baltimore, Maryland. Before founding What's Your Grief, Lisa supported patients and families in the hospital in circumstances of unexpected death and provided ongoing grief and bereavement support in the years following the loss as the Director of Family and Community Services for the Living Legacy Foundation of Maryland. I think she was feeling a little frustrated with the online and print materials that were available for grievers, so she co-founded What's Your Grief as a resource offering concrete, practical, creative, down-to-earth, and very relatable grief support. What's Your Grief offers in-person support, including workshops, trainings, and support groups, as well as online support, including hundreds of articles on all topics around grief and loss. They also have a weekly podcast and online courses. She's been interviewed as a grief expert for NPR, Washington Post, U.S. News, The New York Times, Huffington Post, and the BBC. I'm thrilled that she was willing to be on the podcast today. So, Lisa, thank you so much for coming to the Morning Meeting Podcast. I'm so happy to have you today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I'm really glad to be here. Why don't you just tell us um, a little bit about what's your grief and how that all got started before we get into your story? Yeah, sure. So um, my partner, Eleanor Haley, and I, we founded What's Your Grief actually when we were working together in an organization that was providing grief and bereavement support for people who had experienced unexpected and traumatic, normally traumatic unexpected losses. So we would work with people at the time of a loved one's death in the hospital and then provide two years of grief support afterwards. And when we met, uh, we both pretty soon after meeting realized that we shared this experience of having both lost a parent. Um, When I was a a late teenager, I was 18 and Eleanor was uh, in her early 20s when her mom died and she was pregnant with her first baby. She was about 24. And so when we were working in this capacity as mental health professionals providing support, we also were often talking about our own grief experiences, how we had sought support, what that had looked like. And many times we were just really frustrated uh, when we were going online and trying to find resources that were accessible and kind of creative and a little outside the box when it came to grief and not really coming up with much. And uh, at this point, it was, it's been a while now. So that was probably in 2012 or so. And um, after a lot of complaining, uh, we finally said, well, maybe we should just start a blog and start writing about grief and just start talking about kind of the things that we use to cope, um, the things that were helpful for us, some things that we felt like were maybe just, I don't know, a little bit more relatable than the things that, that we could find. And so that's what we did. We started just on the side, kind of writing a blog and it slowly 
not even slowly, it pretty quickly kind of <laughs> took off. And I think we realized we weren't the only people who were feeling like there was a little bit of a gap. And luckily now, uh, seven years later, I think the internet has caught up in many ways. There's so much more of a robust space of different types of grief support for different styles of grievers and different ways of grieving and different approaches mm -hmm. to grief. Um, but that was really, you know, how it started. And then it grew over time. So we started as a blog. Um, we started then providing print materials because hospices and hospitals and grief centers and funeral homes were saying like, we love your website, but we'd still love to have some paper to give to people. Right. <laughs> so mm -hmm. we started, um, you know, providing some of those things. We started a podcast. We started, uh, online courses and webinars, and we have a, a big social media community. So we have about 5 million or so people every year who come to our site and, um, you know, a lot of people who engage with us on social. And it's just been really a wonderful thing to see grow over the years. That's incredible. It, you are so relatable. I mean, I think that's one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you today, but I, I am a listener of the podcast and um, I really always find something in there that I can relate to. And you're so just down to earth and casual about it and comfortable, you know? Well, thank, thank you. I think that's what we strive for. I think one of the things that we always, you know, Eleanor and I used to joke, like, why is it that everybody talks in soft voices and with tilted heads as soon as they start talking about grief? And like, I, it contributes to that feeling of like, oh, if I talk about my loss, suddenly everybody's just going to like, get really quiet and tilt their head at me. And it's not <laughs> going to be a comfortable conversation. And one of the things that we feel like is so important is like, this is, this is something we have to figure out how to talk about the same way we talk about all the other crap that happens to us in life. And so that's a, a big part of our site has been trying to make sure conversations about grief are just conversations. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, you're doing an excellent job. I highly recommend everybody go check your website out, listen to the podcast. It's always, it's been very helpful to me. So. Oh, well, thank you so much. <laughs> so why don't you tell us a little bit about your dad um, and that experience of losing him? Yeah, absolutely. So my, um, and I always kind of, when I tell people, a lot of times I think people ask when your dad died, was it, was he sick or was it sudden? Because um, I think often those are the two ways that we think about how losses happen. Mm -hmm. And I always say with my dad, it was kind of both. Mm -hmm. um, it was, which I don't think is is particularly uncommon, but I don't know that we talk about it as much that way. Um, so my dad had been diagnosed with uh, myelodysplastic syndrome, which is a bone marrow disorder. It's similar to leukemia, but different. And mm -hmm. it was one of those things that we knew could be terminal, but certainly there was still lots of optimism. He was waiting for a bone marrow transplant. He wasn't, he never was really visibly sick or, you know, didn't kind of go through a lot of those things I think that people think of when somebody is really ill, but his um, bone marrow wasn't functioning the way it it should have. And so he got an infection um, and went and went from one day kind of fine, just regular old, you know, my dad. Mm -hmm. And then he went into the hospital uh, with this infection. And in the course of three weeks, because his body, just his immune system and his, his bone marrow wasn't functioning, um, just couldn't fight the infection. And so he died three weeks later in the ICU. Wow. Um, he had been in an induced coma for most of that time. Um, so, you know, I think it was, you know, a kind of a combination in that way that we knew he was, we knew he was sick. We knew it was a possibility, but when it happened and happened in three weeks, it 
was a complete and total shock. We had no idea that it, it would happen the, the way and as quickly as it did. So um, he was a, my dad was a, a really quirky guy. He was a, um, a rare coin dealer, a numismatist. Uh, numismatist. So a numismatist. Okay. <laughs> he bought, bought and sold rare coins, um, but had been a, you know, really loved math and sciences and just really dry, dark sense of humor, just a, a really uh, amazing person. Um, so he, yeah, I think that that loss was really felt one of the things that was really, I think, incredible to see is a lot of people don't think about rare coin dealers as even a profession, but um, it's amazing community. And so nationally, people, all, all these coin collectors all over the country, coin dealers, people in my dad know just like a huge outpouring um, after he died. So that was really mm -hmm. cool too, that he had kind of a whole world um, because he traveled and a lot of the work that he did and uh, did a lot with de with dealers and collectors all over the country. So we got to learn a lot about him after he died that we didn't know about that mm -hmm. life. So that was always pretty cool. Yeah, I always find that to be one of the silver linings or something special is learning about that person after they died. Yeah, definitely. I, I thought it was interesting. I always say that everyone dies from a train crash because everyone, there's always that moment, you know, like my dad died from cancer, but um, it wasn't the moment that he died. It was the moment that he was diagnosed. That was the crash, you know? So I think everybody has that moment where yeah. your life just shatters. Absolutely. Um, it's like that yeah. moment where you go, I think for a lot of people where it's like that before and after moment where like my life sort of is divided between the before and after that moment. Yep. So you were in your late teens when he died. So, mm -hmm. you know, young to have a parent die. What was yeah. that like? Um, you know, I think in, I, I look, when I look back at it, I had probably been exposed maybe to parent, to, to people with parents dying more than your average teenager. I don't know. I don't know if it's more, or maybe I just perceive it as more, but mm -hmm. when I was, um, when I was seven, my mom's best friend, who was also my best friend's mom. Um, mm -hmm. so she died of breast cancer when I was seven. And so I think for me, um, at a pretty young age, I had this other very significant experience with loss and, and being very aware, like parents can die. Mm. Um, from a pretty young age. And so we grew up with, um, we, we lived just a few houses down from each other and we're really close. And so that loss had always been a big part of, of my childhood growing up. And then, um, strangely enough, two years before my dad died, one of his best friends died very unexpectedly from brain cancer, who is about the same age. His daughter was a year younger than me. And uh, they also lived in the neighborhood where I grew up. I mean, it was, and so I think one of the things for me that I, lucky feels like the wrong word, mm -hmm. um, but that I do feel like was lucky is that I did have other, these two other people around my age who I knew who had experienced a loss of a parent and who I had known their parents been really close. I had known that, um, you know, it was okay to still talk about them and remember them and, and kind of have a connection and with the memory of them. And I think that that helped me a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, 
when my dad died uh, to kind of have had other people in my age range who had been through it or who I knew who had been through that. Um, I know that many people who are 18 or younger than that and lose a parent don't necessarily know anyone else who's yeah. had a parent die. And so in that sense, that's one of the things I feel lucky that I had. Mm-hmm. Did you notice a difference between like the people that had had a parental loss and people that didn't and how they were able to support you? Oh gosh, absolutely. Um, <laughs> I think there is a, a huge difference. Um, I think that in many ways they just didn't have that fear of talking about it, fear of checking in, fear of the emotions, fear of being kind of open and honest about their own experience. And I'm forever grateful for that. Um, I actually, and it's funny, I think you think about the ways you pay that forward in some way. The A year later, um, one of my closest, one of my other closest friends, her dad died really unexpectedly when we were 19. And just recently I found this letter, this note card that she had written me maybe a year after her dad died saying, you know, I'm so grateful that you're one of the only people who I feel like has been able to honestly check in with me and who I feel like I can really tell you how I'm doing and that it's terrible and, you know, all of that. And I think that it's because, you know, there's that common connection and that knowledge that it's okay to be open about how ugly it is and how awful it is. And I think, unfortunately, a lot of other people who haven't been through it, they're just, they want to be there for you, but they're just not sure how, and they don't want to say the wrong thing and they don't want to do the wrong thing. And they don't know, should I still invite you to parties? Should I not invite you to parties? Should I, you know, do you want space? Do you not want space? And I think that's where a lot of people then end up really struggling and not getting the support that they need. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It sounds like you were very fortunate that you did have a few people that weren't afraid to check in. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I, you know, I knew that even my other, certainly at college, I knew I had friends who didn't know exactly what to say or do, but I knew that they were trying their best. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, they wanted to be there for me. and, And I felt a real empathy for the fact that they just didn't have a framework to be able to relate. And that wasn't Mm. their fault. You know, it's just, it's hard. So what was college like for you? I mean, I thought it was very interesting because I've heard you talk on your podcast about college being actually like a, I don't want to say a better place, but actually it felt better sometimes to be at school than it did to be at home. And I always worry about kids going to college thinking they're not going to have support and, you know, their best friends are still at home. So I was, you know, curious about that. Yeah, you know, I think that for me, um, one of the things about college that was was helpful or that was nice was that it felt like a place to take a, a break from my grief in some ways or to be able to, um, I certainly my really good friends at college knew, um, the, you know, knew that my dad had died, knew about that and were there and supportive, but it, it wasn't something everyone knew it was something I could selectively share with the people who I wanted to share it with, who I could kind Mm -hmm. of let in if I wanted to versus I think that experience, at least where I grew up, I grew up in a place in sort of a high school, you know, where everybody knew, like if you saw somebody, they knew your dad died, they knew, you know, they were going to 
if, if they weren't going to ask you, there was some sort of kind of awkward <laughs> interaction right. that was going to happen about it. And you weren't really able to get that escape or that anonymity. And I think a lot, you know, there's a, a grief theory called the dual process model of grief. Mm-hmm. That's all about how we kind of oscillate between grieving and then the other work of living after a loss and that we need to take breaks from our grief and that we need to kind of create that space to go back and forth. And I think college for me in a lot of ways um, allowed me to have space to create room for my grief where where and when I wanted to, but also not feel that it was um, oppressively defining mm-hmm. my identity all the time um, in a way that was yeah, that was strangely helpful. <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking, and this is not a good comparison, but I'm an identical twin. Mm-hmm. And when I went to sleepaway camp, we went to different sleepaway camps. And I always had this, I'm going to wait to tell them that I'm a twin because at home we were the twins and everybody knew us that way. And it was like, I get to just decide when I want to share that information or if I want to share it. Absolutely. No, I think that that's a really, really good comparison actually. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I now running what's your grief. I hear lots, we hear lots of people make this comparison or talk about that moment. I was actually just working on writing a, a article about widows dating after they lose a partner. Mm-hmm. And one thing that we've heard, I asked, I've asked for lots of feedback over time about this. And one thing that some people, widows have said is I've really liked going on dates even though that's been hard because like, it just means meeting a stranger and I don't necessarily, they don't know anything about me and I don't have to tell them that I'm aware. Like I don't have to tell them anything right away. And I've often thought, oh yeah, that's like kind of how I felt about college. Like I was able Mm -hmm. to create a space where I could define when and how I shared my loss with people. Right. So I'm also just wondering about like, what was it like at home? So college was the break. How were things at home? Yeah, I you know I think home for me and probably when uh, I, when you heard me talk about it before I, I mentioned this I think home for me was really strange to come back to because um, in a lot of ways my mom and my sister um, they I just have one sister so it was my mom and my sister were alone at home my sister is younger than me um, I think two things kind of happened one is that. I think they just obviously were still living in the house where we, where I grew up, where my dad, you know, died and all those memories were. And so they had just started to get used to it and integrate being there um, in that space of memories in a way that I hadn't because I immediately went off to, off to school. And so I just Mm -hmm. wasn't like living. So coming home for me was really, really overwhelming because I was sort of back to living in my family house for the first time for the summer when um, I hadn't really been there, you know, since my dad had been alive and my mom and my sister, it was like, you know, this was old news for them. They were really comfortable. They had, had established a routine in the house that I wasn't really a part of. Um, And so I think that was, there was like a a real disconnect. Um, So in a lot of ways, uh, that was tough. And I think also they just had a really, uh, my mom and my sister have always had a really, really close relationship. And so I think, you know, I was very aware 
that they had been there to kind of support each other through what they were going through. Not always perfectly, but at least they were Mm -hmm. kind of in it together. Um, And I hadn't been there for that. So it was like, I kind of reappeared and felt a little bit like an outsider. So I, I think that was part of the thing too, was that college I had, you know, found a place and I was really lucky. Not everybody is this lucky at college to find a group of friends who were really supportive and a place that started feeling really comfortable and like home. And then I would come home and that was feeling different than it had ever been before. And I was trying to figure out where I fit within that. And that was Mm -hmm. hard. Yeah. And you also mentioned that your sister struggled a lot after your dad. Yeah, absolutely. My sister struggled um, a lot after my dad's death and she ended up developing a pretty bad substance use disorder. She ended up having um, a problem with heroin that spanned for probably almost a decade after my dad. Luckily, thankfully, she's in recovery now and doing really, really well and has been for a lot of years. Um, But my dad's death was a big part of what ultimately for her became a real problem with substances. And so I think that too was something that then became even harder for me was that I was away at school. So it was hard to be a support. Um, and this happened, you know, this was kind of a couple years towards the end of college for me that this started to become a real problem, but I wasn't really able to, to be there to be a support and that, you know, coming home, trying to, again, figure out where I, I fit within that. It was really hard to kind of come back and, um, feel like I wanted to, uh, help. I wanted to kind of be part of the the family that existed and also not knowing exactly what that meant. So mm-hmm. it was really, um, yeah, it was a tricky and really, yeah, difficult time in a lot of ways mm-hmm. for my, for certainly my whole family, I, I would say all of us. I think so many people will say that when one parent dies, they often lose relationships with other people in their family and maybe not completely lose it, but the relationships change so much. It's like losing another person in addition. Oh, absolutely. I think that there's so many strains that happen and I was at an age, and I think this is true for a lot of uh, college students um, and probably a, a, yeah, a, a lot of teenagers, not even just college age. Um, you know, I think for me, I was old enough to see the ways that my mom was struggling. And I was, you know, I think that there's always that moment that you have in your life where you like realize like, oh crap, my parents, they don't know everything and they're not perfect and they, you know, screw it up. And mm-hmm. um, so I think in a lot of ways, I was um, old enough that I was very aware that my mom was having a hard time, that I had judgments about how my mom was you know, dealing with my sister, I had like all sorts of stuff. And so I think those sorts of frictions, when those come up in a family, it's really, really hard. It's, you know, kind of that you want, you all, I think we all wanted to be there for each other. We all wanted to support each other and we were all struggling with our own grief and it was Mm -hmm. making it hard for all of us to do that. And, um, so I think it it is that there's that other tricky part when you're at an age when you're old enough to realize your parents are flawed. <laughs> um, grief can 
can really, I think, bring that out even more when you see them grieving and struggling through their grief. Mm -hmm. This episode is brought to you by Inner Harbor, providing grief support to students and those that support them. Find us at www.inner-harbor.org. So what did you do, um, you know, healthy or not so healthy uh, to get through it yourself? It sounds like, you know, you were away from them. And uh-huh. um, so how did you cope in good and yeah, bad ways? In good and bad ways. Um, so I think that, you know, for me, one thing that really interestingly became a huge, I, I've written some about this before, um, that for me, uh, I had a real, there was a real existential kind of component to my grief. And I think at, at that age, now that I look back, I'm like, yeah, of course, like that's the age where you're like, what, what the hell is the meaning of life? What are we all here for? Um, and you know, what, why would this have happened and all of that? And so I ended up changing though. I started, I, I went, I always thought I would be a math major. I started college thinking I would be a math major. Um, I actually ended up changing degrees and I became a philosophy major. And interestingly, I think a philosophy was something that ended up to be incredibly helpful for me mm-hmm. as a way of processing what I had been through. And which I think sometimes either when I t- tell people that they're like, yes, or they're like, what the hell are you talking about? Um, <laughs> it goes one way or the other. And I think it's because for me, you know, so much of philosophy is asking these questions of like, why do, what, why do we suffer? Why do bad things happen? What are mm-hmm. we, what does it mean to have a meaningful life? What does it mean you know, and I think at that point I was very aware of, you know, of kind of trying to make sense of those sorts of questions and also wanting to figure out like, God, life is short. Like what I, I need to figure this out. Like, and so, and that was something that for me was, became really important. And I think was an important ballast in a lot of ways to the other part of my life in college, which was, um, you know, kind of always being aware that a lot of other people around me were just like a little more carefree than I was. Like they, they didn't have this thing that had happened. And so, so much of college, I think of course, is just like having a great time. And, um, I went to a, a school that I joke is like a summer camp. It was right on the water. You could check out your, a sailboat with your college ID (laughs) or a, a kayak, you know, and it was, and so, I mean, there was just a lot of of that sort of carefree aspect of um, college that I think for me, there were sometimes moments of frustration of feeling like other people didn't have these experience, you know, this experience of life being ugly in the way mm-hmm. that I did of having lost my dad and my sister struggling with substances and all these things. Um, but at the same time, what I was studying was like this constant reminder of like, oh, Yes, for thousands of years, this is what humans have been doing, trying to figure out like what this messy existence is. And that um, really grounded me in so many ways uh, mm-hmm. through through college and and really well, you know, well beyond that. I think it, it's always been something I've found helpful even now. 
um, is reading, you know, I still read a lot of philosophy and philosophers who write about some of those questions. I still find that really comforting. Mm. Um, and then I, I think the other thing probably that Eleanor and I really connected over is we both used photography a lot um, as a kind of creative expression tool for coping with grief. Um, okay. And I'm not, I had no interest in, I, I briefly tried going to a counselor and I really was not my thing. Um, I wasn't really interested in, in talking to someone um, or even really writing, but I really have always loved how the world um, visually sometimes expresses what we are feeling internally. Mm-hmm. And um, I think nature has always been a, a big part of, and actually a big connection to my dad. We did a lot of camping and hiking and backpacking and sort of just the wonder of the natural world was a big part of mm-hmm. my life growing up. And I think in everything from the expansiveness of of the world that can feel overwhelming to just uh, the how you know things that you see around you can feel like they just capture internal experiences. Um, capturing that through photography always was really helpful for me. It felt mm-hmm. like a way also just to channel um, my focus and my energy. And Eleanor is um, a much, much, much better photographer. I'm a hack photographer, and she's like a really <laughs> professional. Like she's a well trained photographer. Um, but she also very much on her own. That was a big part of her, how she dealt with her mother's mm. death was through taking photo, you know, photographs and doing things around ph- photographing her emotional experiences with grief. So we write a lot about that. Um, we have a project called Photo Grief. We run an e-course on exploring grief through photography. We both still use photography um, a lot. So that was, I think, one of the positive things. And then, um, certainly I drank way too much. I mean, that was probably, I mean, I, I look back now at college and I'm like, Oh, it is a good thing. I was able to rein that back in afterwards Mm -hmm. because I think, you know, for me, that was a good part of the, that escape for me was, was like, I, you know, that, that reason that so many people use substances is just so okay Mm -hmm. I can like check out from worrying about this other stuff and um luckily it was something that didn't become a problem for me after college but I realized that it it could have it could have gone another way that's for sure Mm -hmm. I think you know when you've dealt with so much grief and trauma you almost feel like you're entitled to like I should be able to have a really good time tonight Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I think you definitely, you know, we, and we always will tell ourselves the story we need to tell ourselves, yes. <laughs> rationalize stuff like for that. Sure. And I think that was, um, yeah, for me, I think that was something that, uh, I was, yeah, I was just lucky. It, it never became a bigger problem. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just thinking too, about like, you know, right now colleges are cutting everything because of the pandemic and, you know, photography clubs at schools, like, I wouldn't have thought that that's a, a great way for somebody to deal with grief, but all of these extra things that colleges have are so important because every person's so different. So you're going to find photography and this person's going to find, you know, nature walks and this person's yeah. going to find, you know, the video game club. And for some people, for whatever reason, that's going to be their thing. Oh, absolutely. So 
It's so unfortunate. And I, and I think, and I love that you said that because I think one of the things that is such a problem for people in terms of expectations about how we're supposed to cope with grief is people are like, oh, you know, you like see a therapist, go to a support right. group, keep a journal. Like, you right. know, it's like we have this like limited, but coping is obviously using all of these other things that often exist for us and finding finding ways that they actually help us to connect with and process grief and yeah. do other things or serve as just sometimes that break or connection that we need from the emotional mm-hmm. overwhelm. And I do think that those not having those outlets for people is going to be really hard on college campuses and just everywhere. Yeah. Um, Cause I think a lot of people just really rely on those things and you might not think of the connection, but it is actually a really important, um, important connection. Yeah. Was there anything when you were going through college that you thought like, I wish I had, you know, I wish that the school offered something or did you feel really well supported and, you know, or even looking back? You know, I, um, I, in a lot of ways, because I was not someone who was necessarily looking to connect with other people around my loss. Like I said, I think I was lucky to have people at home who had been Mm -hmm. through something similar. And, um, you know, I wasn't looking for like, oh, I wish there had been a support group on my campus, or I wish that there had been, you know, something like that. That wasn't anything I was really looking for at the time. I think for me, one of the things interestingly is that I went to a school that um, was in a really rural area. I grew up in a city and I went to a school that was in a really rural area and it didn't do a lot with like, it didn't have a lot of like study abroad programs or things like that. And Mm -hmm. one of the things that became a big part of my grief, as I said, I was having this like existential moment of like, how do we make the most out of every single minute that we have? Because we never know when we might just die. Um, (laughs) To me, because I was in this kind of remote area, I, I started to feel like I went through this period probably after my, after my sophomore year, maybe where I was like, maybe I need to transfer to a school in a city or a school where I could study abroad or a school where I could do, because I felt like I was in on a really small campus in a really remote area. And I felt like I wasn't like seeing enough of the world. Mm-hmm. Like I, and I, so I think for me, that wasn't anything my school could change. I look back now and I think that was one of the most amazing things about my, my undergraduate right. experience. Like I love that about it. Um, but it was something that I felt very distinctly. And I just ended up looking for ways, um, to fill that on my own in different ways. So I, you know, I, yeah, I did a lot of things, um, not during the semester, you know, I spent my summers kind of doing things that would fill that space. Right. Well, that's another good point. You know, college doesn't have to be everything. So just like yes. there's no one person that can be everything that, you know, you have to find what works for you in lots of different ways. Yes, exactly. And say like, this is doing, you know, wonderful things. And I, and I think that recognizing, you know, for me, it was helpful to go, oh, well, you know, and if I transfer somebody where else, then I'm going to be there thinking, well, this doesn't offer me this, you know, there's always right. going to be things we're not experiencing at any given time. Sure. So yeah, that helped yep. me. <laughs> 
So how are you coping right now with the pandemic? Just Yeah, um, it has been, it, you know, like everybody, I think it's been up and up and down. Um, I had a really tough grief stretch when the pandemic started. Um, two really, really close friends of mine, also grief therapists, um, both died within a month of each other at the very beginning mm -hmm. of the pandemic. Um, one of them was not at all related. One of them was a, a skiing, a, a skiing related accident, but the other, um, it's not, not not clear whether it may or may not have been COVID, but both really young, totally unexpected. Um, and then a month after that, oh my God, I'm really laying it on. It sounds awful when I lay it all out together. <laughs> but then a month after that, my uncle, my uncle died really unexpectedly, um, my mom's brother. Mm -hmm. And with none of those, there were no funerals. There was not, you know, it was, there was no way to come together. And I've been talking a lot and I've, and talking with Eleanor, I've written a little bit about it and talked about it on the podcast. I've never thought of myself as a big memorial or funeral person, whatever right. that means. I never mm -hmm. thought like, oh, when I, when I look back on my dad's death, I don't think about the funeral as a really significant moment where people mm -hmm. came to like, I, I remember it, but it wasn't anything significant. But the absence of those has been actually really a affected me. Um, I felt really disconnected from just being able to kind of remember, you know, talk with other people who right. are remembering and just kind of, I think, and even if I, I look at it and I think, well, you know, in any of those, if the family, you know, their families had decided not to have a service or something, I still would have been able to get together with friends who all knew them and we'd go out for coffee or go get a drink or go have a meal and like reminisce yes. and do those but we don't have the opportunity to do that. Yeah. So it's been um, it's been interesting to just think about what to do instead. Actually, uh, uh, with one of those, I just posted about this on What's Your Grief. Um, a mutual friend of of one of the friends who died. She, the family, gave her all of the all of her clothes, all of our friend Aaron's clothes. And said, you know, if anyone wants any of her clothes to please take them and then to donate the rest of them. And so I was able to go and just go through and like have some of her clothes. Mm -hmm. And it has been like this amazingly unexpectedly comforting thing. I think because there has been so little else there, it was just remarkably nice to go see someone else who was you know, thinking about her and remembering her and just going through her clothes and being able to talk about, and she was really into clothes. And so like, <laughs> she had all sorts of stuff, you know, all sorts of really fun, sort of funky clothes. Um, so I think it's been being a little bit more creative and yeah. trying to find other connections and, um, yeah, so it's, it's been, that's been tricky. And then, um, for me, I have been lucky to get a change of scenery, um, which was very necessary for me. I live alone and I live in a very teeny tiny house. Um, <laughs> and so it was start. the walls were starting to feel like they were um, crushing in on me after about four months of being completely socially isolated in my house. Um, so I was luckily able to get away. I am um, staying with a friend in the 
beautiful British countryside and have now been mm-hmm. here for a number of months. And that it was a big decision, like everything is here. Like, is it worth the risk of flying? That was, I spent a lot of time angsting over that. Right. But I ultimately, for my mental health, I thought, you know what, I I, I need to do this. <laughs> so Good for you. Yeah, it, it has mm-hmm. felt like the right choice. Oh, I'm glad. That's a lot to deal with in the past few months. So yeah, it has been a it has been a lot. I'll tell you, as somebody who spends all of their time, you know, thinking and talking and writing about grief and supporting other people, it never stops. Just you know, hitting you in the gut when it yeah when it hits home. I'm glad that you acknowledge that because I feel like whenever I'm going through something. Um, people will say to me, well, you're okay. Cause you know, that's your world. And I'm like, well, I, I still have just those human feelings. <laughs> it's you know? Exactly. Like I am yeah. still a human being and I am, yes, sort of struggling, uh, struggling through this. Like we all, like yes. we all do. Yeah. So. Well, thank you for sharing all of that. We appreciate that. If people have, um, questions or they want to reach out to you, how can they find you? Oh, sure. So uh, our website is whatsyourgrief.com. Um, we are most places on social media at what's your grief. We're not on Snapchat or TikTok, but we are all the other, all the other places. Um, okay. And we, you can email me at Litsa, it's L-I-T-S-A uh, at whatsyourgrief.com. Excellent. Well, thank you for being on the podcast today. It was really great talking to you. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much to Lisa Williams for being on the podcast today and to Stephen Bluestein for audio production. Join us next week when we talk to Renee Lund. She's a freshman at Concordia University in Wisconsin. She lost her mother in June of 2019. She talks a lot about the anxiety and grief that she had to push through to succeed in high school and now in college. A really fascinating interview, and I hope that you'll join us. That's all for today. Good morning to all of you.